everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are going to be talking about the case of Jill Dando. So I'm not sure if you've seen but there is a new documentary released, I think it's even this week, on Netflix called Who Killed Jill Dando? And it has been trending everywhere. I think it's one of the most watched documentaries on Netflix this week. And it turns out that I actually covered the case of Jill Dando all the way back in November of 2020. It was only the third true crime case that I ever covered, which just feels so crazy. That feels like so long ago now. And given that the case of Jill Dando is now being talked about again, I thought that this would be the perfect time to share this episode. And if you aren't aware, the case of Jill Dando is a very high profile case here in the UK. It took place all the way back in the late 90s and it is unsolved. And it is still currently unsolved to this very day. And it is one of the biggest unsolved murders in UK history. And why is it such a high profile case? Well, that is because Jill Dando was a TV presenter for the BBC here in the UK. She was watched by millions on a daily basis. And she is somebody that nearly everyone in the UK at the time would have known. Just think about the biggest news presenters right now, like wherever you are, whatever country you are from, think about some of the biggest news presenters. And that is what Jill Dando was. And when her murder took place in 1999, it really did shock the whole nation. Her death was reported on front pages of nearly every newspaper the following day. Nearly everybody in the UK would have been mourning her death and speculating what had caused such a tragic murder. And even the Prime Minister at the time, Tony Blair, commented on this case, which is very rare saying that he was deeply shocked and that he found her totally charming and hugely talented. And even the Queen paid her respects, saying that she was, quote, shocked and saddened. And then following this, one of the largest criminal investigations ever in the UK took place. And it was also the most expensive single murder investigation in UK history. So we have a pretty high profile case to talk about today. So let's dive in. Jill Dando was born on the 9th of November, 1961, and she grew up in a town called Western Supermare, and she went on to study journalism at university. Father and her brother worked as journalists at a local newspaper, the Western Mercury, and this was where Jill got her first job at the Western Mercury with her father and her brother. And a few years later, in 1985, Jill got her first job at the BBC and it was to present news on BBC Radio Devon. And then later on in that same year, she made the move from radio to TV. She went to present the local news for BBC Southwest and she presented the local news for about three years and then after three years she made the move to London and went from presenting the local news to the national news and she began by presenting BBC Breakfast. She went on to present the hourly bulletins, she also did the one o'clock news and the six o'clock news. So she went from local presenter to nationwide very, very quick. Her career was growing very quickly. I mean, she was pretty much doing everything. She was doing breakfast, one o'clock, hourly, six o'clock. She was everywhere. This is what I mean. She would have been watched by 
millions. Like when she went to the national news, she would have been watched by millions every single day. Pretty much everyone would have known who she was. And then further down the line, she got her dream job at the BBC. So as well as doing breakfast hourly, one o'clock, six o'clock, all of that, she went on to present a show called Holiday, which was also at the BBC. And she basically got to travel the world. And it's like the travel show now. Do you, you guys know that on BBC? She basically kind of did that where she traveled the world and she reported on the different things going on in different countries and experiencing different cultures, which was her dream job. I mean, it sounds pretty amazing, doesn't it? Like traveling the world for your job. And then in 1994, she got the role that she was probably the most known for. And that was as a co-presenter of the show Crime Watch. Now, Crime Watch, if you didn't know, is just a British TV show that reconstructs unsolved crimes um, in hopes that the public watching will know something about the crime and will give a tip to the police and will help solve the crime. Kind of like Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix, which you should watch if you haven't already. <laughs> and quite a lot of the cases that she helped present on Crime Watch led to arrests and led to these crimes being solved. So this was a very helpful program. Now, I don't know if you've maybe made this assumption already, but Jill wasn't your average news TV presenter. She definitely had more of like an air, like a celebrity air about her. She wasn't just like a regular TV news presenter. She featured on magazine covers. I mean, BBC news presenters don't end up on magazine covers, but Jill Dando did. She was also voted the BBC Personality of the Year in 1997. I mean, that's huge. Personality of the Year, not out of everyone. Personality of the Year, yeah. So she was like a celebrity. She also presented award shows as well. And her career was just like going up and up. She still hadn't reached her peak, even though she was like everywhere and she was doing everything and she was so loved. Her career had kind of only just started to like really take off and she was stepping into almost that celebrity world, you know? Her personal life was flourishing as well. She met the love of her life and they got engaged at the beginning of 1999 and they were planning on getting married in the September of 1999. But on April the 26th, 1999, Jill was returning to her home on Gowan Avenue in Fulham, which was a very quite wealthy area. And she was returning home because most of the time she actually lived with her fiance at the time. And she just used to return home every now and then to pick up mail, water the plants, pick up clothes, you know, just kind of like doing the maintenance. But she wouldn't do this very often, but she just so happened to have time off work. So she decided to go home, do all the things that she needed to do there. She needed to run a few errands. She also had a wedding dress fitting for the afternoon, I think, on that day. And she was scheduled to present the six o'clock news at six o'clock. However, at 11.32 a.m., Jill was walking up her front path towards her front door when someone grabbed her from behind with their right hand and pushed her to the ground. So her head was basically touching her front door step. And then with their left hand, they got a nine millimeter semi-automatic gun and shot her in her head just above her left 
ear. It took a total of 40 minutes for Jill's body to be found by a neighbor. And I've heard the emergency call from this neighbor and you can just tell like she's just so like in shock. I mean, can you imagine? I just, I can't even imagine. I don't know what I would do. She could see that it was Jill Dando who was her friend. And initially she thought that she had been stabbed because there was so much blood on the ground. And this is not too far-fetched to think that she had been stabbed because the UK has some of the strictest gun laws in the world. And gun crime is quite rare. Obviously it does happen, but it's quite rare. Sadly, Jill did die instantly from the gunshot wound and she was declared dead when she arrived at the hospital a little after one in the afternoon. Now, what was strange about this case is that nobody witnessed this case. I know it was at 11.32, so a lot of people would have been already out maybe for the day, doing whatever they needed to do with the day or maybe at work, but it was still in London. Like every street, there's always like somebody like around, but nobody witnessed this and nobody heard the gunshot. The only witness they had was of a neighbor and all he had heard was a woman scream, but it didn't sound like a, a scream of fear. He described the scream as like a scream out of surprise. Like if you see a friend that you weren't expecting, you know what I mean? You know the kind of scream that I'm talking about. He did look out the window when he heard the scream, but he didn't see Jill's body. Um, there was actually a huge tree um, outside of Jill's house to give her a little bit of privacy. Um, so it must have been hidden by the tree. So he didn't see Jill's body. All he saw was a six foot male who was around 40 running from the scene. But because he didn't see Jill's body and because the scream just sounded like a surprise scream, not like a fear scream, he didn't really think anything of it. And he didn't like, I don't know, he didn't think anything was suspicious. And like I said, nobody heard the gunshot. And it was later discovered that because the gun was so close to Jill's head, that her head had muffled the sound of the gunshot. I've never heard of that before. Um, but yeah, that's what was concluded. And also the bullet casing was left at the scene. And from the bullet casing, the police could figure out that the bullet had been tampered with. Um, I think some like gunpowder or something was taken out of the bullet and that made it quieter. Uh, which is all like, I don't know, very strange, very suspicious. But uh, yeah, so that could be the explanation as to why no one heard the gunshot. So why would somebody kill Jill Dando? Like, yeah, she was so loved by everybody. Like, why would somebody kill Jill Dando? The police go through like all of the usual suspects because most of the time, people are murdered by people that they know. So they go through the usual suspects. Was there a jealous ex-lover, a boyfriend? Was there any family conflict or arguments that could have been an explanation? But all of these were ruled out pretty quickly because yeah, there was, there was nothing. And then because Jill was a celebrity, they did have to look into, was this a crazed, obsessed fan? Was this a stalker? Leading up to the murder, Jill had expressed concerns to people close to her of a few people. This was looked into and when the police looked into this, they found that 150 people had an unhealthy interest in Jill Dando. I know, 150 people, that just, that sounds terrifying. It was discovered that somebody was trying to get into her phone records because they wanted to know who she was phoning. There was a couple of people 
that worked at the bank that she used that were trying to get into her account, not to like steal money, but just kind of monitor and like see what she was spending, like where she was spending on, like basically just spying on her. And they also did 10 credit checks on her. But the weirdest one of all was that somebody was trying to pay her utility bills. I just can't wrap my head around the somebody wanting to pay your utility bills. Um, so the police obviously looked into all 150 of these people, um, but it was all a dead end. There was no sufficient evidence to support any of these people. Yeah, maybe they were being a little bit weird towards her, but yeah, there was no evidence that any of these people would actually murder Jill. Then the police turned to, was there somebody wanting revenge? Remember, Jill was a co-presenter on Crime Watch, so the police thought maybe somebody wanted revenge, maybe Jill had reported on a crime that had led to an arrest, because that did happen quite often, so the police were like, okay, was somebody trying to get revenge for this? Uh, but the police looked into every single one of the Crime Watch cases that Jill reported on, and none of them had sufficient evidence that any of these people would have murdered Jill Dando. The next thought was, was it a professional killing? Because the scene did look quite professional. Remember that the bullet was tampered with? That's not something like a regular person would do. And there's also quite a lot of theories to support the professional killing theory. I did actually watch the Crime Watch episode when I was doing my research that reconstructed Jill's murder, because obviously that's what Crime Watch did. That's just horrible that she used to present that show. And yeah, that's just so incredibly tragic. But I did watch the episode that reconstructed Jill's death. And there was quite a few men in suits hanging around, acting suspiciously, running around. A couple of them were very sweaty. One was spotted multiple times in the area in the weeks leading up and the days leading up to Jill's murder. So that maybe points to the fact that there was a group that did this. It was very organized. It was very planned. Like maybe some of these men were lookouts. Maybe one of them did it. Uh, but yeah, the police quickly dropped this theory. During the investigation, the police received over two thousand tip-offs, which is quite normal for such a high-profile case, and the police have to go through every single one of these tips and rule them out, and this took them over a year. Even going through all of these tip-offs, nothing gave sufficient evidence to look in further or gave them any kind of inclination as to who did this. And after they went through all two thousand of these tip-offs, they were desperate, they decided to go back through the initial tip-offs. And this is where they landed on somebody called Barry George. Now there was a few things that were a little bit suspicious about Barry George, which is why the police decided to look in to him a little bit further. Now Barry George was 39 at the time of Jill Dando's murder and he lived in the same area in Fulham as Jill. And Barry had previous convictions which included sexual assault. He also was arrested for impersonating a police officer. And there was also an incident where he was arrested on the grounds of Kensington Palace, which at the time in 1999 was the home of Prince Charles and Princess Diana. And he was found on the grounds of Kensington Palace wearing a balaclava and in his possession was a rope and a knife and a handwritten poem yeah, poem to Prince Charles. Now you're probably thinking, 
okay, so if he had all of these previous convictions, why didn't the police look into him a little bit further when they initially looked into him? Because Barry George was one of the first initial tip-offs that they got. Previous convictions weren't as obvious uh, to the police because Barry had this almost fascination with impersonating celebrities. He was obsessed with Freddie Mercury and he would quite often give out Freddie Mercury's real name as his own name. He would sometimes say that he was Freddie Mercury's cousin. So every time he was arrested, he gave a different name, not just of Freddie Mercury, but he also gave names of other celebrities. So his arrest, his convictions were not under Barry George. They were under these other names. Now I know that this was 1999, but like surely there would have been checks to prevent this. Like I don't know how he got away with doing that. And what I just find so strange is that he was arrested for impersonating an officer. And then when he gave his name, he was impersonating someone then as well. Barry had also previously worked at the BBC. It was the only job he had ever had. And he worked at the BBC as a messenger, uh, but he only actually worked there for about five months. And even after his employment at the BBC ended, he still went every single week to pick up the weekly staff magazine. Now, all of this behavior is definitely suspicious. It definitely makes you want to look into Barry George a little bit more. But the thing that really topped it off for the police was that Barry was a gun enthusiast and he had previously trained with the Territorial Army. So with all of that evidence, the police decided that they had enough to arrest Barry George. Now on his arrest, the police did search the house and the house was a little bit of a mess. Barry was a little bit of a hoarder and there was magazines and newspapers everywhere, stacked so high. And quite a few of these magazines and newspapers had Jill Dando on the cover. Police also found hundreds of undeveloped photographs, which they did get developed, and all of them were photographs of unsuspected women that Barry had photographed without the women knowing. And in Barry's house, the police found 2,000 photos like this. There was also maps to where these women lived. And based on all of the evidence found, the police concluded that Barry George was stalking over 400 women. I don't know how anyone would have the time to stalk 400 people. There was also a photograph of Barry found in the house where he was wearing a gas mask and he was holding a semi-automatic gun, which the police concluded that the gun could have been the same gun that did kill Jill Dando. However, the final crucial piece of evidence that the police found was a coat that matched the description of what the neighbor gave. Do you remember the neighbor that heard the scream and saw a man running away from the scene? Well, he obviously gave a description of the man that he saw and what he was wearing, and they found a coat in Barry's house that matched that description. So that coat was sent off to be tested. So the results did come back for the coat, and the test results found that there was a microscopic particle of firearms residue found in the coat pocket, and the properties of this particle found in the coat pocket matched particles of residue that was found at the crime scene. This was enough now for the police to charge Barry George with the murder of Jill Dando. Barry George did plead not guilty to this. However, he was found guilty by trial and was convicted of the murder on the 2nd of July 2000 for the murder of Jill Dando and he was sentenced to life imprisonment. Now, immediately following this trial, a lot of people were skeptical on the conviction of Barry George just because there just seemed to not be enough evidence. I mean, if you think back to what the police actually had, 
a lot of it was circumstantial. Yes, they had the particle in the coat pocket, but if you take that away, everything else is circumstantial. And while all of this circumstantial evidence is definitely suspicious, it's not enough to convict someone of murder. It's not enough. You can't just convict someone of murder because you're suspicious of them. There needs to actually be evidence. Barry George's defense team argued that Barry lacked the intelligence to carry out this murder due to his low IQ and the personality disorders that he had been diagnosed with. They argued that he struggled to plan his day-to-day -day life, let alone a very complex murder such as this one of Jill Dando. Many of the appeals made because of the lack of evidence was denied. Um, however, in 2008, a retrial was finally granted. And during the retrial, the firearms residue that was found in the coat pocket was deemed inadmissible because it was so small. Like I'm talking microscopic, tiny. And because it was found in a coat over a year after Jill Dando's murder, there could have been many explanations as to why it got there. Yes, it's suspicious, but there could have been many explanations as to why it got there. And they couldn't even rule out that it wasn't like firework residue. Like that's how small it was. The only thing that the prosecution had for the case against Barry George was circumstantial. And because you can't convict someone of murder solely based on circumstantial evidence, Barry George was acquitted of the murder of Jill Dando on the 1st of August, 2008. Now there was so much pressure on the police and the investigation team on this case to solve this crime, but you can't convict somebody out of emotion. There has to be evidence. There has to be enough evidence to prove that someone is guilty of the offense beyond all reasonable doubt. And there just wasn't that in this case. Like I said, it was just circumstantial. Yes, very suspicious behavior, but not enough to convict someone of murder. Some people still to this day think that Barry George is guilty. So now that Barry George has been acquitted of the murder of Jill Dando, the police are back to square one. Like they're back to the drawing board. They don't know who killed Jill Dando now. It is again an unsolved case. Now there are quite a few theories as to who killed Jill Dando and also why. And I just wanna point out these are theories, they're not fact. They don't have any like substantial evidence, not that we know of anyway. They are just theories. Just wanna put that out there right now. And a lot of these theories do lead to the fact that Jill was assassinated. There are some theories that even involve the IRA. There's another theory that a London gang assassinated Jill Dando because they wanted revenge because she had reported on Crime Watch, um, a case that led to some people getting arrested and they wanted revenge. Now there are two theories that, I mean, I do find them like more interesting theories. However, I feel like these next two theories that I'm gonna speak about do make more sense than the IRA or the London gang. Cause I just feel like the London gang one, it's just like, why would somebody take out Jill Dando? Like Jill Dando was just the messenger on Crime Watch. Like she didn't do anything. She was just reporting on the crime. Like that's what news presenters do. That's what these uh, TV shows do. Like why would they kill Jill Dando? I just, I don't know. I can't really buy into that one. Now, one of these theories came about because a previous colleague of Jill Dando came forward in 2014 and said that Jill had approached her in the months that were leading up to her death. Now this has not been confirmed, so it's just speculation. Jill Dando approached her friend and expressed concerns about sexual abuse, a paedophile ring at the BBC, and that she was soon planning on 
like revealing this information to the public. People believe that somebody that was involved in that paedophile ring or the sexual abuse that knew about it found out that Jill Dando had information regarding this and uh, ordered the killing of her. Since Jill Dando died, we know now that there has been issues of sexual abuse in the BBC. Look at the case of Jimmy Savile. And I don't know if that was the case that Jill had information on. We obviously don't know that. So maybe Jill did know something. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think that that's too far-fetched. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just like buying into these conspiracy theories. And then the other theory is probably even crazier than the paedophile ring sexual abuse theory. So three days before Jill was murdered, NATO, which is a military alliance between North America and Europe, they illegally bombed a Serbian state broadcaster, RTS, which killed 16 innocent people. Now, these were just regular workers at the station. Like there was a makeup artist, there was a cleaner that was killed. These were 16 innocent people. And I want to point out that it was ruled that this bombing was illegal. Now, the reasoning that NATO gave for illegally bombing this Serbian state broadcaster was that this station was spreading propaganda on Serbians' unethical war. However, it was illegal. They were targeting the wrong people here. And because of this terrible attack, the Serbian regime wanted revenge. And Britain was a leading force behind NATO. They wanted revenge and they specifically wanted revenge on the BBC. I know that that theory sounds very far-fetched. I'm very aware of that. However, there was a phone call to the BBC on the day of Jill's murder by the Serbian regime and they claimed responsibility for Jill's murder. And I know that that can happen. I know that people can claim responsibility for murders that they didn't commit, they just want the credit for it, um, but it's very suspicious, isn't it? And then another piece of evidence to support that it was the Serbian regime that murdered Jill Dando was that three weeks before her murder, Jill had actually angered the Serbian regime. And she did this by presenting a charity appeal to raise money for refugees and people impacted by the war carried out by the Serbian regime. And this is the reason people think why Jill was targeted, because obviously anyone could have been targeted. They wanted to target the BBC. So yeah, that is why people think that Jill Dando specifically was targeted by the Serbian regime and not another presenter. There are actually quite a few other theories if you wanted to google them but those are just the ones that I found a little bit more interesting and also a little bit more plausible. Police have dismissed all of these theories as well like they don't believe any of them um, so this case still remains unsolved and open and this case is just so incredibly tragic. Like I said everything just seemed to be going right in Jill's life. Her career was like really taking off. She was stepping into that celebrity kind of lifestyle. Her personal life was going amazing. I mean, she was due to get married the September of 1999 and she was murdered in April of 1999. And another thing that I just find so just incredibly sad is that she was on the cover of the Radio Times, which is quite a popular um, magazine here in the UK. She was on the cover of that magazine. That was like her first big magazine cover and she was on the cover of that magazine like I think that magazine came out on the 25th of April 
and she was murdered on the 26th of April and it was the front cover of that week and she never got to enjoy that she got to enjoy that for one day shortly after her murder the Jill Dando Institute was formed which has helped her legacy live on and the institute researches new methods new technologies to help in criminal investigation and help prevent something like what happened to Jill Tando from happening again. So the Institute is actually really influential and helpful. And I think that is so incredible. This is obviously such a sad, tragic case, but Jill is still like in her name, she is still helping to solve crime, which is what she loved to do when she was still alive with Crime Watch. And her name is still doing that to this day. I just hope that one day it gets solved and we have some answers and Jill's friends and family just get answers to who took away Jill from their lives. I just think it's horrible. And that brings us to the end of this episode on Jill Dando. I don't have any updates for you today other than the fact that there is a new documentary that has been released on Netflix covering this case. So if you haven't watched that documentary yet, you should definitely check it out. I have not watched it myself yet, but I am going to at some point this week. And I am looking forward to seeing how they did it, like how they approached it and what they covered and everything. Thank you so much everyone for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review because it really does help out this podcast in the meantime if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources special thanks to my producers at audio boom studios and i'll see you all in the next one